Well, it is my honor to kick off Proverbs sermon series. Uh, we're going to be studying the book of Proverbs next six weeks, including this week. I think it's going to be a humongous blessing. That's what we're praying for. I'm going to begin reading the first seven verses. We'll pray and we'll jump in. I'm really thrilled by this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. This is why Proverbs was written. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear an increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In chapter 9, verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Today, we're going to kick off this study in the book of Proverbs by going over the foundations, the, the main parts of this book as writ, recording first nine chapters of Proverbs. Would you pray with me? Father, I am blown away, stunned by your mercies and your goodness in the lives of your people. I thank you that you have saved us. I thank you that you have given us your word. And Lord, I pray that this word would be alive, speaking in our hearts, stirring us up, with greater affections for your name, making us hungry to live for your glory. Lord, let all things be done for your glory. Amen. So one of the biggest things uh, out there um, that's been studied very extensively is IQ, your intelligence quotient. And your IQ, and there's, if you know, there's an IQ, and then there's new thing that's out that's Supposedly far more important, it's called the EQ, your emotional intelligence. Now, IQ refers to you just having brain smarts. You just know stuff, okay? You're quick on your feet. You got logic down. You can do trigonometry, whatever that thing is called. Like you have IQ. I don't have high IQ. In fact, one of the things that I always laugh about is I just don't get wit. I don't get puns. If we're watching a movie with Albina, I take my cues from Albina when to laugh. I'm like, okay, that's so funny. I have no clue because I don't like puns. I don't like wits. I'm like, why do you have to say it that way? Just be black and white, say it straight. I'm a linear thinker. So I, I, my IQ is on the lower end of the spectrum. Like, I don't get that stuff. That's the IQ part. But then there's the emotional intelligence. And this refers to your ability to empathize, your ability to recognize your emotion and regulate your emotion. This refers to you being able to spot people's emotions and speak into a lot, their lives in a way that helps them. You're self-aware. You are self-controlled. Proverbs is a book that's going to help you with your EQ. Now, I don't like statistics, but I really don't. I just think they're a lot of baloney. But they usually give us a good sense of something that's true. That's how I read statistics. And they say that your EQ is responsible for 80% of your success in life. 
or 20% of your success is only due to IQ. I don't know if that's true or not, but we are about emotional intelligence. And Proverbs is full of wise, wise sayings that are going to bless you going to bless your life. I sat down and just read through Proverbs and just selected a couple of the gems, just good gems. And I, I found that there's advice and wisdom for cryptocurrency, for how you should love your pets, how you should diffuse arguments, how you should do everything. So I'm just going to read some of them to you, just as a flavor of what Proverbs talks about. So the first one is how to diffuse any argument. You ready? With your spouse and your family, you're arguing, do this, do this. Proverbs 15, 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. If you're ever in a heat of a moment and you're arguing and you're going at it, just remember this verse and then switch your gears and go mellow and become gentle. And you'll see how that just tension just evaporates. How about this? Or how to be confident in life. Proverbs 28, 1. The wicked flee though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. You know what that means? <laughs> that if you live a life of integrity, you are in public what you are in private. If you seek to be the same with your spouse, with your children and your friends and your coworker, you're the same. You seek to be honest. You're a person of integrity. You have nothing to hide. You get to live with authority. You get to live with credibility. You get to be bold as a lion. But you know one of the hardest things to do is to hide behind masks. And there no one's even pursuing you, but you are running away from you. Because it's not who you are. You're not putting the front that you actually are. And one of the most anxious tolls that some of us are paying is the toll of having to always put up a mask and you're always running you're always trying to figure fix and control how people see you and you don't want to come off bad but if you are a person of integrity you get to be a lion or a lioness just you isn't that freeing and by the way we get to come to god as we are because of jesus i think his presence is one of the most freeing things you can do because you can put all the guards down now, let me give you some advice for pets. Proverbs 12, 10 says, the righteous care for the needs of their animals. Now, of course, there was real beasts back then. They actually had a function. Today's animals, pets, are basically there to be adored, mess up with your vacation, and cost a lot of money. But I love that they made it into the Proverbs. So you'll never hear a sentence ever from this pulpit, but I'll just say this. Today, when you come home, love your cat. Love your cat, love your dog, love your parrot. A righteous person takes care of their needs of the animals. How about some cryptocurrency advice? Proverbs 13, 11 says this, wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Ooh, that burns. But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. See, some of you, you got into crypto and you thought you knew everything. And you went all in because you thought you're going to be a millionaire, going to buy us a church. Maybe one, I wish that happened. But you expose yourself too much instead of being okay with little gains and little exposure. So for all of, the, all of, the, all of you who are investors, plaster this on your screen. Go little. And last one, 
is so good. Proverbs 21, 31 says, the horse is made for the day of battle, but victory rests or belongs to the Lord. Isn't this good? Um, some of us get lost between trusting God and doing things for God. But here, we are to do both. If you're praying for a spouse, trust God, but you got to put your Minecraft down. You got to put your video games down. You got to get some strategy going. You got to get out there. You have to do both. You don't have to choose between maximum preparedness and absolute dependence on God. You don't. Choosing one is unbiblical. Being a mature follower of Jesus says, I am all in. I'm preparing the horses. But God, the battle belongs to you. May there never be a day when you come to Mercy Church and Eugene thinks he's got a good sermon. And he thinks he's got a good illustration. And he thinks he's got some brilliant insight. And that will change hearts never. The battle belongs to Jesus. And may there never be a day when you come to church and Pastor Eugene prayed for his sermon and didn't prepare. We are both. We are people of both. Jesus' people say, I'm going to get the horses ready. I'm going to trust in God. We are a church that is missional. That means we care about people knowing about Jesus. So what do we do? We pray. And then we build bridges in our community. I can't wait for Adam. I can't wait for James to reveal the events that we can volunteer in. I can't wait for our church to go out, go out there. Because we are prepare our horses and trust in Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? So this is just a flavoring of Proverbs for you. This is, a proverb is a small saying that packs so much truth into it. Now, the book of Proverbs divides into two main categories. It's hard to see the, the, the connections in Proverbs, but it's actually a wonderful book. Chapters 1 through 9, um, if we can go there, deals with foundations. Chapters 10 through 31 usually or will have the principles that we come to love so much about Proverbs. In fact, Solomon wrote this, but Solomon was not, was not the only contributor to this. In chapters 10 through 31, we see principles, wise sayings from 22 to 24, more principles, and the contributions of two characters we don't know too much about, Agur and Lemuel. So all of these, this big part of the book deals with wise sayings. They're the small proverbs, but the first nine chapters is the chapters we're going to cover today. They're foundational for chapters 10 through 31. If you miss chapter 1 through 9, you cannot exact all the blessings or extract all the blessings of Proverbs in 1031. The first thing we learn about Proverbs in 1 through 9 is it teaches us that there's two main choices every single one of you has. It's the choice of wisdom or folly, to be wise or to be a fool. It then tells us what wisdom is. Now, here's what wisdom is, okay? It is skillful application of God's word to your practical life. Skillful application of God's word to your practical life. It is not a knowledge thing. It includes knowledge, but it is more. In fact, did you know that Proverbs tells us 
that creatures and animals are wise. Let me prove this. In Proverbs 30, it says, four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's places. And the point there is that wisdom is not just a knowledge thing. Wisdom is the skillful way of living life. It is competence. And ants and rock badgers and locusts and lizards are good at living their lives. That is, they're good at doing what they were designed to do. So going back, what is wisdom for us? It is the skillful application of God's word, God's truths to your practical daily life. Over the next six weeks, we're going to tackle temptations, words, anger, money talk, and so forth. But the whole goal is how do we become skillful at living our lives. Now, here's a big one. Wisdom also, in first chapters 1 through 9, if you were to read, covers a lot of the blessings of wisdom. Can I read you some of the blessings that wisdom will give you if you follow its way? Health, prosperity, security, well-being. This is all in first chapter, nine chapters. Contentment, a long life, good relationships. These are the blessings of wisdom. Now, here is something very, very important. They're not promises. Some have read Proverbs like a promise. And so when it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and he will never depart from the way, and some parent raised their kids flawlessly, and their child walked away from the Lord, and their faith was shipwrecked. Or some businessman or businesswoman runs their business with integrity only to see it run to the ground and they, their uh, faith is broken. Because Proverbs are not promises. Proverbs is wisdom about how things generally go. How things generally tend to be. Promises of God are based in God's nature, which means that the reason you can be 100% sure that every promise God has ever made is going to happen is because God belongs and is based in his nature who, where he never lies. But Proverbs are observations with a lot of wisdom in them of how things generally go. And this is huge so that your faith, it's strong enough, right? Those blessings to persuade us. There's a lot of blessings in being wise, but it's not so extreme that the devil has a foothold in your life to shipwreck your faith when something doesn't pan out. But let me just also say this. I am stunned as a pastor how many young people have such a bleak view of the future. How cynical they are about the future. How pessimistic you may be about the future. And the challenge for some of you is to believe in the blessings that wisdom will give you, will bring for you. Generally speaking, if you are honest, you will gain a lot of friends. <laughs> if you're hardworking, you will move up and have a good financial blessing in your life. Generally speaking, that's true. And some of you, you, 
the exceptions, you know, you, know, you know the exceptions to this rule, and they have become your norm. It's the way you look at life. You think nothing works. Nothing pays off. Wisdom is no wisdom. There is no blessing in wisdom. And you're wrong. You're completely wrong. I want to inspire you today to work hard, to care for your time, to love people, to live a life of integrity, to treat people well, to honor Jesus. Those things will bring you blessing upon blessing. But they're not mechanical. There are exceptions. In fact, Ecclesiastes and the book of Job deals with the exceptions. That there are times when the people who fear God suffer. And there are times when people who are wicked prosper. But it should not lessen our agreement with this word. Amen? So it talks about that. And now I want to, moving forward from these first nine chapters, I want to set down two foundational pieces for the next six weeks, okay? If you don't get these two pieces down, I don't think we could get a lot out of Proverbs. The first foundational piece, okay? This is a stone right under our lives building, okay? It's this. Wisdom starts with fearing God. Wisdom begins by fearing God. Let's take a moment and talk about fearing God. Notice in verse 7, the choice is simple. You will either fear the Lord, which will be the beginning of knowledge, wisdom, skillful living, or you will be a fool who will despise wisdom. The choice is not necessarily a choice of whether I want to be wise or a fool. It's whether I will fear God or I will be a fool. Ecclesiastes writes, the fear of God is wisdom. That's it. The way into wisdom, the way into insight, in the way into guidance and learning how to live life, being competent in every sphere of your life is through, I mean, we got to put this rock down, fear of God. Fear of God. It doesn't mean that fear of God is the beginning, like the starting point, and then you leave it means the fear of God is the source of all wisdom. Now, certainly, we're not comfortable with that word fear. But I think it is the best way we could go about knowing who God is. Fearing God means there's an awe and reverence for a God who is God. It is a recognition in regard to this being called God. And I don't know about you, Mercy, but I don't find a lot of fear of God in our culture, in our churches, and to be honest, often in my heart. Here's how you know if you don't maybe fear God is when God or his reality doesn't stun you. God existing is like water off a duck's back. God exists, yeah, so, yeah, he does. <laughs> God created the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, he does. He, he sure did. He made you in his image. Oh, yeah, he did. So what? When God's holiness does not stun you, 
when you don't stop to consider that, wait, 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 wait a moment. You ever have those moments? I think every Christian does when you're driving in a car and just, you just start realizing, what, this is crazy. Like if, if God is, like if God is real, like that's nuts. I should be driving on the speed limit. I'm just kidding. But it, it hits you a certain way. It hits you a certain way. You should be driving the speed limit all the time. My whole point is, is during the week, are you a practical atheist? No, no. I know that I say and you say that we believe in God. But does God make any difference in our lives? Does believing in God make any difference in our lives? Are we completely fine and okay with hanging up God on the way out only to pick him back up, walking back in? Do we live lives basically as practical atheists? Like God has nothing because the opposite of that is reverence. It is to be stunned by who God is and that God is. Just, just that God is. Fearing God. Another way to know if you don't fear God is, does God, does your God agree with everything you, with you on everything? Does he, is he, does he like the things you like, dislike the things you dislike? Like he, there's just complete unity between you and God. Like God, because you know what that means? That usually means he's just an extension of you. There was a professor who taught a class about Jesus. And every semester he would begin by giving his students two surveys. One survey would ask them questions about them. What do you like? What do you dislike? What do you believe? What do you not believe? What's important? Blah, 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 blah. And then the same professor would give that same student another survey about God. What is God like? What does God dislike? What does God believe? What does God doesn't believe? What does God consider important? And guess what? 90% of the time, there was a perfect match (laughs) between the two. It is so easy to make God into our own image. He's a Republican or he's a Democrat. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know where I'm going there. My whole point is, my whole point is, is do you know how you know God, you fear God? But he's, he's, he's different. He's other from you. He stuns you in your life as you recognize his reality. Come on, you church. I mean, listen, it takes 25,000 light years. Okay, that's the speed of light traveling for one year, 300,000 kilometers per second, 186,000 miles per, hour, per, per second to get to the middle of our galaxy and 200,000 light years to cr- cross the whole galaxy. And that's just one out of a billion gazillion galaxies. That's who God is. And he spoke that into existence. I mean, just recognizing who God is, do you fear him? Now, here's what I want to say with the fear of God. I don't find it surprising that the Bible commands us to fear God. I think that's what would be expected when a mortal like you and I encounter an infinite, inexplainable God. That's what would happen. What I find so remarkable about scripture is not that it commands us to fear God, but, it, but that it transforms this fear of God into something glorious and beautiful. The fear of God does not drive us away. It only sharpens our desire for more of him. 
The fear of God does not destroy our approach to God. It simply increases and heightens our intimacy with God. Here's what Nehemiah said. He says this, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. (laughs) That's glorious. Fearing God is your delight. You know why? Because when you fear God properly, all of a sudden, he's big in your life. And then you recognize and realize he loves you unconditionally. You know, you know why when God's love is impressive? When God is at his proper size in our minds. The fear of God, look at what Proverbs 14, 26 says. The fear of the Lord, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. <laughs> Do you hear that? When you fear God, you've got confidence. What that means is the fear of God is the one great fear that obliterates all other fears. It destroys the fear of man. It destroys the fear of missing out. It destroys the fear of better options. It destroys the fear of other people's opinions. It destroys the fear of my future and will I have enough. Why? Because when there's one fear that you get down and that you recognize and you understand his grandeur, All fears start to evaporate. In the fear of God, one has strong confidence. See how scripture treats fear of God? As a glorious, life-giving thing. Do you fear him? Is God something to you? That's a question for me. Tomorrow you wake up. Is he on your mind? Is he on your lips? Do you watch your conduct in understanding that there is a God who loves me, who's perfectly holy, who wants me to live in his will? Like, does that matter to you? We don't fear God without prayer. We, don't, we will never fear God if we are running away from his word. But here's the thing. Here's why fearing God is so foundational. Because when we fear him, and only when we fear God, do we realize that we're not impressive, he is. Only when we fear God, do we stop thinking that we are smarter than God. You see that? One of the main things about Proverbs is the repeated call that you would listen to God. That you would incline your ear to what God has to say. And the only way you're going to do that, the only way you're going to incline your ear to God, the only way you're going to incline your ear to His wisdom is when you recognize and acknowledge that I'm not impressive. That I'm not smarter than God. That God is the one who is full of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. But you don't get there. You don't get there. You don't get there if God is not who he really is in your life. The way you start to listen, again, I'm just going to repeat this point. The reason you're going to listen to the Proverbs of God's wisdom is because you recognize you're not smarter than God. And not everyone here believes God 
is smarter than them. If I asked you the question, do you think God is smarter than you? you nobody would say, no, I think so. Nobody does that. But then let's evaluate our lives, how slow we are to read his words. And if you ask the question, well, why don't I want to read the Bible that much? Well, I don't think it has what I really need. <laughs> I can figure things out. I got Google, okay? I, I don't need his word. I can self-produce my wisdom. Fear of God makes everything God says precious. And that makes sense. I mean, this is, remember, a, a being who you cannot explain. And when you have fear of him, proper fear of him, all of a sudden, everything he's going to say is precious to you. And in Proverbs, we find this beautiful line in Proverbs 4, verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly. And she will exalt you. She there being wisdom. She will honor you if you embrace her. In other words, wisdom of God loves those who love the wisdom of God. And do you know how you're going to love the wisdom of God? When you fear him and everything he says is precious to you. In fearing God, we are eager, eager, eager to apply his word. See, Proverbs is all about application. It's all about life skill. And when God is a worthy God, when God is a holy God, when God is a beautiful God in our minds, when we sort of start to pick up on who he is, there is a natural draw to want to live for him. So I want you to see that if we don't have fear of God, we're not going to be tempted or, excuse me, inclined to listen to him. If we don't have fear of God, we're not going to be inclined to store his wisdom in our hearts because it's special. If we don't have fear of God, we're not going to be quick to apply what we have learned into our lives to honor him. Fear of God is fundamental to our wisdom. So that's the first part. I won't take that long for the second part. Wisdom starts with fearing God. Hey, mercy. One of the things we can do is we can come today and repent before God. And we can ask God, help me live with the reality that you exist, that you are, you reward those who diligently seek you. Help me do that. I don't want to live my life not caring for you. I don't. And I think all of us have that sense. I don't want to do that. So that's the first part. With fear of God, wisdom starts with fearing God. Here's the second big piece. Humongous. This is so big. Proverbs is not just about life betterment. It's about Jesus. We're going to get the keys up here. We're going to be ending. Proverbs is not just about life betterment. It's about Jesus. People of the kingdom, which we are, people of Jesus, which we are, living on that, this side of the cross, it is a joy and a privilege to go back into Proverbs and read it with a Christological mindset, Jesus mindset. How do we do that? So key, so important. Like this is the part where you've been listening so well, you really tune in, okay? In Proverbs chapter 8, 
we find this personification of wisdom called woman wisdom. And this, I want, I'm just gonna start reading it and you tell me who that sounds like. Proverbs chapter eight, wisdom is personified as woman wisdom. Okay, question for you, who does that sound like to you? <laughs> Can't talk without smiling. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old, ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. This is speaking of wisdom. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his, in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. What, who are we talking about here? The first early church got a lot of their understanding of Jesus from this Proverbs because that lady wisdom is being associated with Jesus who Paul says is the wisdom of God. In Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and understanding. Colossians chapter 1 says this, Christ is the invisible image of the invisible God. Excuse me. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything on earth. Wait a moment. Proverbs said that God created everything with wisdom. God created everything with his son who is now identified as wisdom. Now, stop right there. Chapter 9, so key for chapters 10 through 31, ends with two women. Woman of wisdom, woman of folly. And the woman of wisdom sets out a feast and calls the passers-by, come, eat with me, dine with me, learn from me. And then there's another wisdom, wisdom folly. She does the same thing, except she's wicked. And she calls the passers-by, come to me. Here is the choice we have today when it comes to wisdom and wisdom literature. Are we going to feast with Christ? Or are we going to choose folly? You see, to choose and listen to the voice of wisdom, if we can go to the very end, if we can choose to listen to the voice of wisdom, to choose to listen to the voice of wisdom is to choose to listen to Jesus. He's the wisdom of God. I think that's a great prize. <laughs> 
When we read Proverbs, we're not just reading about little pieces of advice. They're good. They're solid. They're golden. But the best part of Proverbs is by learning and taking in the wisdom that it's sharing right there. I'm following Jesus. I get to listen to his voice. I get to follow him every moment of my life. I want to follow Jesus more. I think you want to follow Jesus more. And wisdom and the voice of wisdom and to incline your ear to that is to say, Jesus, I choose you. If Jesus is not your Lord, your life has chosen folly. Wisdom is not just life betterment. It's Christ that we get to choose and live in. If Jesus is the wisdom of God, then that means that becoming more wise is becoming more like Christ. You see how it's more than just about life betterment? It's about our discipleship. If Jesus is the wisdom of God and he died for our sins, here's what that means. I'm covered on the days that I'm a fool. Come on. If Jesus died for my sins and he's the wisdom of God and he lived his life perfectly and he obeyed God and he grew up in wisdom and stature, then that means on the days I'm a fool, on days that I choose foolishly, on the days that I choose folly, I am covered and forgiven. You are covered and forgiven. If Jesus is the wisdom of God, that means that we get to obey this wisdom with supernatural strength. <laughs> if you were before Christ reading Proverbs, I don't know how it would go, but I'm just imagining here, completely did not plan to say this, so be gracious to me. You were reading Proverbs before Christ. I think you would read a proverb and be like, okay, I gotta go try. Let's do this. I'm gonna figure this out. I'm gonna work on this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna plan out what I should be doing. I'm going to watch my words. I'm going to watch my words. But you get to read Proverbs now on the other side of the cross. And Jesus has secured for you his spirit of adoption, which means that in you is a spirit that bears forth fruit of goodness and gentleness and kindness and love and respect and peace and what that means for us is that we get to obey this book and this wisdom not with our own strength but with supernatural strength we read proverbs with a jesus mindset meaning that it's about obeying him following him as he is the wisdom it means becoming more like him since he's wisdom it means i'm forgiven on my worst days and my foolish days and it means that I get to live in his power. See, chapter 10, we're jumping in into words. The power of words and the power of silence. I can't wait for that sermon. But it's gonna start with fearing God. This is how, to, this is how you know next Sunday you're gonna take it in. If you fear him, like that's where it starts. And then we're gonna listen to it and hear it and learn all about words with a Jesus mindset. Let me pray for your mercy. Lord, it is a tremendous honor 
to open your word to find you, Jesus, on every page. Lord, I pray that we would all learn to fear you. We would choose to live in fear of you. Lord, I also pray that we would learn to come to this wisdom literature with a mindset of becoming more like you, relying on your strength and your forgiveness.